We are in Romans chapter 11, and I would like to look at a thought of seeing the big picture. Seeing the big picture, faithful. Seeing the big picture, Romans chapter 11. So, three preachers sat discussing the best way to pray. And there's a telephone repairman kind of working, and these three preachers were talking. Telephone repairman's working nearby. And so one preacher said, kneeling is definitely the best way to pray. And so another preacher, we're all opinionated, said, no. I get the best results standing with my hands outstretched to heaven. You're both wrong, the third preacher insisted. The most effective prayer position is lying prostrate, face down on the floor. And so the repairman couldn't contain himself any longer. He said, fellas... The best praying I ever did was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. So prayer is really not a position of the body, right? It's a position of your heart. And what we're going to look at is looking at the big picture. And the big picture about prayer is a position of the heart. The big picture of God's dispensation, of God's working with man. And chapters 9, 10, 11 deals with God's dispensation or the way a dispensation is how God deals with man it's a time a period of time where God deals with man a certain way the way that God dealt with Adam and Eve is not the same way that he deals with us well how do you deal with Adam and Eve it was a dispensation called innocence how many Bibles were there around none how many commandments were there one. So it was different than today. So we want to look at the dispensation that we're in right now, and then we're going to get to the dispensation in the future where Israel is reached and brought back to God. So first, verse 1 to verse 10. That's where we are now, the present election of grace. So the Israel that is under, the Israel being reached under the election of grace, which isn't that many, but the people that are being reached in this dispensation who are of Israel. So verse 1 to 10, the present election of grace. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid! For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What or know ye not what the scripture saith of Elias or Elijah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. You know, that's what Paul was saying. God hasn't cast away Israel. He's like, hello, I'm of Israel. All the 12 disciples, where were they from? They weren't from New York City, okay? They were all from Israel. So God hasn't cast away his people. And God was sent to, Christ was sent to Israel. The Messiah came first to preach to Israel. But it's interesting. What did Elijah say? And you know it's easy to say that when you're going through something. You attribute your personal experience to be what everybody else is going through. So if you're having a hard day, man, life is so hard for everyone, right? Because my life is hard. And that's what Elijah said. You know what God said? Your personal experience, it's powerful, but it's not representative of the truth. So verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? 
I have reserved to myself 7,000 men. So he said to Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 more. And this was really a message to the Jews. The Jews were saying, God's cast us away. God hasn't cast, God, let me tell you. Let me finish the scripture. Who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. That's another Bible study right there. The worship that they did to Baal was pretty disgusting, but uh, we can talk about that at another time. But God will always have a people. God will always have a people. And you say, well, this one quit serving God. And it happens. People quit serving God. But you know what? Someone else is getting saved. I remember some years ago, some people stormed out of a church service. It was probably Reverend Keckle preaching like a house on fire. So some people got mad and they walked out of church. And guess what? They walked out. Literally, someone was walking into church. They were a little bit late, but it was just a real representation. Some people leave God. Other people like, I need God. And I'm going to come get something from God. So even so, at this present, then at this present time, Paul's speaking about Israel, right? There is a remnant according to the election of grace. And Paul, again, is talking about Israel, okay? And if, it, and if by grace, and he's going to talk about what grace means, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You see, words have meanings. And he said grace and work are two different things. And if Israel is saved, they're saved by grace. Like, you know, I talk to people sometimes and they're like, hey, this is my wife. And I'm like, well, how long have you been married? And they're like, well, we're not really married. You know, we just say my wife, my husband. And then they say, marriage is just a piece of paper. And you know what I want to tell them? But I don't. How do you file your taxes? Married? Oh, well, no, right? Well, well because you're not really Married, And yes, it's not just a piece of paper, but it's a societal building block that is recognized internationally when you are married. It gets you legal benefits if you have a house. If you buy a house with your boyfriend or girlfriend, good luck, okay, if you have a problem. Because there's legal protections when you're married. Want to visit someone in the hospital? If you're a husband or wife, you can visit when others cannot. Marriage is more than a piece of paper, not less. But don't be afraid of it. But marriage has a meaning. That's my point. I remember there was a gentleman that came and asked me for some money. It was like a 57 cents or something. It was crazy. At the last place we were, at Safeco. And I said, he said, I want 57 cents to buy some chips. And I don't remember how many cents it was from the store. And I said, well, if you're hungry, my wife can get you some food and I can bring it to you after church. And he goes, I don't want food. He said, I want like 57 cents to buy some chips from the store. And I looked at him and I said, no. And then he said this, what do you mean? No. You see, a lot of people don't know what meanings of words are. And I said, no is the answer to your question. And you know what he told me? Uh, He told me a lot of things I can't repeat over over the pulpit. But you see, words have meanings. If we're saved by grace, if the Jews are saved, it's by grace, not by works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be by grace. We're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Here's a good illustration. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, 
eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and they bow and bow down their back always. Now there's something called Anton syndrome. And I believe that's the doctor that discovered it. And so those who have it are cortically blind, okay? Through damage to the brain's occipital cortex, okay? That means they cannot see, okay? That's what it means. They, they cannot see. But a firm often quite adamantly and in the face of clear evidence of their blindness that they are capable of seeing. So they're blind, they're bumping into things and they're like, they're like, hey, you're blind. They're like, no, it's just a little dark in here. And that's exactly what the Jews had spiritually. They're like, oh, we're not blind. And they're bumping into you know, the promises of God and stumbling over Jesus Christ and all of his works on the cross. But they thought that they saw. And that's why Jesus said, your blindness remains because you said you see. And Jesus comes, and you know, if God points something else, something out to us in in maybe a church service or something, and we see ourselves bumping into it over and over again, you say, wait a second, God, there's a blind spot in my life. I need to to do something because I keep stumbling over stuff in this situation. Maybe I've got this Anton syndrome where I Say I'm not blind, but I am blind. But the Jews are spiritually blind as a nation, okay? And that's why they don't recognize Christ. And in part two, though, verses 11 to 24, there's going to be in the big picture, God's got a plan to receive his people back. So it's a plan for the future reception. So God helps us to zoom out. You know, a telescope takes small things and makes them big, right? Well, if you turn the telescope around... Sometimes we need to do that when we face problems. You know what it does? It makes big things small. And we need to get a different perspective sometimes and see the big picture. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid! But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. That's you and me. For to provoke them to jealousy. See, God had a bigger plan. When Israel rejected Christ, it opened the door for you and me. But God isn't spiteful, okay? God really is using you and me to reach back at his people. Hey, look at the blessings in America. Hey, look at the superpower of the world that that they have this declaration of independence where it talks about uh, the creator and that God, the creator and and the God of nature, I believe, in the Constitution. So... it's, it's turning back to show them, provoke them the jealousy to come back to the Lord. You know, it's interesting. Jesus wasn't sent to the Gentiles. He was sent to the Jews. So have you ever read when that woman of Canaan, it calls her a Syrophoenician woman, she comes to Jesus and she said in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22, son of David, he said, Lord, oh, thou son of David, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought her, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, ma'am, your time hasn't come yet. Wow. You see, God was dealing with the Jews. 
She said son of David, but she wasn't an Israelite. So you know what she did? She zoomed out. Now notice what she says now. Then she came and worshipped him. And she said, Lord. She didn't say son of David. She said, I'm not going to worship you just now as the Messiah. I'm going to back and zoom out and just, you're just God over everybody. She said, Lord. Not son of David. Just Lord. Help me. And he said, but it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. You're, you're not a Jew. And she said, yeah, but we eat the crumbs. The dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the master's table. And she, he's like, you got it. He answered, he said, woman, great is thy faith. What did she do? She zoomed out and saw the dispensation. She wasn't a Jew, but Jesus was still God of everybody. There's always a way to approach God. And she got wise to it. God's always got a plan. When man fell, God had a plan in Genesis to bruise Satan's head, even though Satan would bruise his heel, which was Christ on the cross. God's got a plan. When they were beating Jesus, the Bible says by his stripes, they thought that they were beating him, but you know, God had a plan. What was happening? The blood was beginning to flow and the Bible says by his stripes, what? We were healed by his stripes. God's always got a plan. So if you think something's going wrong, you're never going to surprise God. God's always got something planned ahead. Thank God. If you don't like that your husband or wife plans ahead, well, be thankful because then you don't get those surprises. God always plans ahead. Now, if the fall of them, verse 12, be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, uh, of Israel, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Say, man, if Israel fell and the Gentiles got blessed, what happens when Israel comes back? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, then might save some of them. You know that Paul said, I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He knew he wasn't going to reach everybody. I don't think I'm going to reach everyone in my apartment complex, but God, give me somebody. God, give me somebody. And you know what? Not the person I think, the person you think. You know, God's working on somebody. You pray God's going to work on somebody and pray that he sends them to you because God, that's what Paul's heart is. God, give me somebody to lead them to you. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? It's going to be awesome when the Israel comes back. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them. So it's talking about the Israelites rejecting the Messiah, being broken off. And you can graft a branch into a tree, right, from another tree. It's like a, a transplant is what it is. And so we Gentiles were transplanted into God's family. And it said, we're grafting among them and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, which is that uh, promise to Abraham. Boast not against the branches. I so don't think you're so high and mighty. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Remember, the branch isn't holding the tree up, right? <laughs> the root's holding the tree up. <laughs> thou wilt say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted. You know that little bit of pride gets going. Well, 
because of unbelief they were broken off and now standest by faith be not high minded but fear for if God spared not the natural branches take heed lest he also spare not thee behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity but toward thee goodness if thou continue in his goodness isn't that something if thou continue in my word Jesus said then are ye my disciples indeed that goes for the preacher too the preacher can't just decide to walk out and go do his own thing well that that's not standing by faith say preacher but God will forgive you yeah he would forgive you but I've got to continue in the word of God and I'm brethren I'm very serious about my testimony a testimony is a wonderful thing to have and it's a real pain to get, okay? You have to really take a stand. You have to turn a test into a testimony before it's good. It's rough, right? But you want to protect your testimony. Let me tell you, it, it's worth more than gold in your pocket to have a good testimony among people. This world is all about relationships. And it said, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. He's talking to the Gentiles. You know, some people say this. Once saved, you're always saved. Well, why did Paul write that then? (laughs) Was it good for Judas? You know, I thought, well, he's saved. Well, I don't think so. So, you know, you can lose your salvation. Why? If you deny Christ and stop believing in him by faith. Amen. So we're not going to, I mean, I hope no one's going to do that. We're persuaded better things of you and the things that accompany salvation. Verse 23, and they also... If they abide not still in unbelief. So if the Jews get saved and uh, believe on Christ, they shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. You see, seeing the big picture, God opens this grace up to anybody. It's just that the Jews are looking to the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses. But if they say, you know what? That Messiah came, I'm just going to accept him. Bam, they're a Christian right there. My wife doesn't like me saying that. It's like a Southern thing. Bam, right? They are in Christ just like you and me. For if thou, it says, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? You know, if someone disowns their kid and their kid makes it right and they somehow bring him back in, they even look like their parents. It's easy for them to come right back in. Maybe the room is still just like they left it, right? They're not, they're not just someone like us who was adopted and don't look like anybody. They're the originals, okay? They're, they're brought back in. So part three is the final salvation of Israel, the final salvation of Israel. And again, we're dealing with the big picture. And, and as a Christian, it's good to know kind of what's going to happen down the road and what's going to happen with Israel, not just John 3, 16, which is a great verse, and it'll get you a lot of places, but Bible study is about knowing a little bit more about what's going to happen. So we're going to deal with the final salvation of Israel. It's going to happen at the second advent of Christ. For I would not, verse 25, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So he took him to Bible study. <laughs> Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. You ever see someone wise in their own conceit or opinion, but they don't know what the truth is? I mean, but they are wise in their own conceits. Man, they will tell you about something even though they don't know what they're talking about. So that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. 
So God is part of this blindness, but there's going to come a time where the blindness is going to be lifted off. And so all Israel shall be saved. That's quite a prophecy. All Israel? Like all Jacksonville? So there's going to be a time when all Israel is going to come to the Messiah, to the Lord. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So when the church is taken away, there's going to be a period of seven years called the tribulation. And you might have read that in Daniel or in Revelation. And at one point, believe it or not, it's not the Jehovah's Witnesses, but at one point of the tribulation, God's going to send out 144,000 Jewish evangelists. What are they going to do? They're going to begin to reach out to Israel to prepare them for the second coming. The first coming was in Bethlehem of a virgin. The second coming is going to be in power. It's going to be this battle at Medigo, which is this mountain pass, right, between Egypt and Israel. And there's going to be a huge battle there. It's called Armageddon. Jesus is going to come and defeat, uh, and defeat the enemies and uh, defeat the, the wicked. And then he's going to set up his kingdom. And when he does that, that second advent of Christ, notice what it says in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12 and beginning at verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. That's Armageddon. And verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. Huh, same spirit as we got. And supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Hmm. Same salvation message. What is he doing? Preaching the cross and his grace through the cross. Sounds similar, but this is from the Old Testament. And then it said the land's going to mourn. Because when you see, you look upon the one that you have crucified. And that's really what the gospel is. You mean my sin crucified Christ? And Israel's, their eyes are going to be open and their blindness is gone. And they're going to realize we crucified our Messiah. They're going to begin to mourn, which is repentance. And then you look at Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 1. So when we hear the message of the gospel and we realize that the grace of God is here, that the cross has provided for our sin and the blood that is shed has given us forgiveness, we repent, we mourn. And then 13 and 1, Zechariah. In that day, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. You see, God is going to save his people. He's going to come down and that fountain that's opened up is that grace and that power through the gospel message to Israel. For, verse 27, For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election... They are beloved for the Father's sakes. You know, God is always looking down the road. And you say, well, that person or this person, you know, see, if you can just talk to people, if you don't like someone or someone's on your case, get to know them a little bit. Find their name out. Make them human. You know, these people are not just human, but they're God's precious creation. Someone who's a human being is God's precious creation. And that's what Paul is saying. They might be fighting you now. But God's going to reach. He's, he's looking at the big picture. He's going to reach for them in the future. 
And it says, very common verse of scripture, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What does that mean? God calls you to do something. He doesn't change his mind. So what if I want to go get in a ship and go to Tarshish? It's already been tried, okay? And then the storm came and he jumped out and God had prepared this great fish and Jesus called it a whale and it ate up Jonah. And Jonah died, went to hell for three days and three nights because he's the sign that Jesus said would be given to this generation. Just like the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, so is the son of, was Jonah in that fish, in that whale. Jonah was dead. Well, Jonah prayed and God raised him from the dead and that fish vomited Jonah out on the dry land. He didn't even have to swim in, right? And he vomited him out. Oh, lukewarm preacher. And you know what he told him? Same thing. Go do what I told you to do the first time. You know, like when you're a kid, they don't clean their room and you correct them. Then you say what? Go clean your room. I haven't changed my mind yet watching TV. So, uh, and you know, some people, they might destroy their testimony where God can't use them in a certain capacity, but that doesn't mean God didn't want to, okay? God has a call on your life. And don't think it's a negative thing. It's a blessing. Do what God wants you to do. You'll find your most fulfillment that way. Verse 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet ye have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. He's talking now to uh, uh, the Gentiles, you and me. Even so have these, Israel, also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? And I like this. It's kind of like the circle of life, and I'm not trying to get Lion King on you, but listen to this. For of him, and through him, and to him. I like that. It comes from God. It comes through God. And ultimately, we all go back to God, right? are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. See the big picture. You know, sometimes if we're in a, in a crazy situation in our life, we're in a disagreement. Uh, some people were having a disagreement. My wife said outside where I live in apartments, it wasn't me. Okay, but take a step back and, and say, wait a second, let me take a step back and look at the big picture. Let my emotions calm down and let me take a look at what's really going on. And, you know, that's what God wanted uh, us to do is take a, take, a, take a step back and look at how this thing's going to end up so that we all get on the bandwagon for Jesus and reach someone while we have time down here in this dispensation of grace. God bless you is our prayer. Uh, let's uh, let's d- dismiss in prayer. Brother Velez, would you dismiss us in prayer?